0: The Elk Talk podcast is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, ensuring the future of elk, other wildlife, their habitat, and our hunting heritage. To become a member, go to rmef.org.
1: The Elk Talk podcast is also brought to you by Mountain Ops, making outdoor energy and performance nutrition to make you a stronger and healthier elk hunter. They have a full line of hunting-related supplements, including meal replacement shakes, multivitamins, pre-workout fuel and post-workout recovery, and my favorite, their new Performance Protein Bars that, by the way, are packed with 270 calories and 20 grams of protein, but contain less than 6 grams of sugar. Visit mountainops.com to learn more and to order, and be sure to use the promo code ELKTALK to save on your next order.
0: The podcast is also brought to you by Gerber. Uh, Go to gerbergear.com and learn about the knives, the vital, the big game vital, the gator premium, all the things that we use when we're out in the woods, and not just knives, but also some really cool multi-tools that they have.
1: And we have a promo code for Gerber as well. Just use the code ELKTALK to save 20% on your orders at gerbergear.com. And we are also brought to you by Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls. And Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls is the original designer and inventor of the pallet plate diaphragm that's completely changed the way elk calls are made and used. And to find out more and to order your elk calls, go to RockyMountainHuntingCalls.com or BuglingBull.com and use promo code ELKTALK and you're going to save 15%
0: on all of your elk calls and elk call accessories. The Elk Talk podcast is also brought to you by GoHunt.com. Uh, go to GoHunt.com and sign up for the Insider. The Insider is changing how hunts and hunting information are found. No doubt about that. Use promo code ElkTalk, and when you do, when you sign up for the Insider, you're going to get $50 of store credit, mad money, in their gear shop.
1: Lastly, the University of Elk Hunting online course is a proud partner of the Elk Talk podcast. And within the University of Elk Hunting online course, you're going to find nearly 60 chapters organized in 17 modules of elk hunting instruction aimed at making you a more successful elk hunter. From planning and e-scouting to calling strategies and packing, Every imaginable elk hunting topic is included in the online course. And regardless of your previous elk hunting experience or success, I'm confident the University of Elk Hunting online course will make you a more confident, more successful elk hunter. Just visit elk101.com and use the promo code ELKTALK to save 20% when you sign up for a membership to the University of Elk Hunting online course.
0: And with that, Corey, we are ready to get into it. Let's jump into it. Hey Corey, how are you doing? I am good. How are you doing, Randy? Uh as long as I don't cough, I'm pretty good. I uh you know what was what was Mark Twain's famous statement? The rumors of my demise are greatly overstated. <laughs> uh, I don't think they were that greatly overstated a couple of weeks ago. Oh, I don't know how we pulled off a podcast. I I take no responsibility for anything I said on the prior podcast because I was in a COVID fog. I'd taken about, I don't know, on the cap it says take 10 milliliters or cc's or whatever of this cough syrup (laughs) i just took a swig off the bottle john wayne style you know so that's why i didn't get on a bad coffin fit the last one but i'm pretty sure i had a bad fog going on so you know what if the
1: president of our country can get covid and still run our country then i'm pretty sure people aren't going to complain about some of the things you said on a podcast about elk hunting
0: Okay. Did I say anything really offensive, or did I
1: create I, I, <laughs> any problems for us? I haven't seen any negative responses from that episode, okay. so.
0: Oh well, heck, yeah. Maybe maybe I should have drank something other than cop, <laughs> cough syrup.
1: <laughs> I
0: don't know that our our real intent is
1: to say anything offensive, so I think we did no. okay.
0: <laughs> no, it's it's not. So. Uh, what do we want to talk about today? I, I definitely want to talk about that picture that you sent me the other day. Oh, yeah? Yeah.
1: Is that the yeah. the one of my living room with the Christmas tree? and No. No, uh, not that one?
0: This one looked like you were somewhere in scattered snow, ponderosas maybe, or some sort of pine, and a little bit of grass showing through, and a great big hound dog. Oh, yeah, that one. Huh. Yeah, but it wasn't a hound dog. It was somebody's... <laughs> Canis lupus. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I did get quite a few death threats. If people ever saw me and they had their dog, they'd sick their dog on me and not <laughs> tell him to stop.
0: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> See, here I, can't, we go.
1: I can't say anything funny.
0: <laughs> yeah, if you make me laugh, I need a cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Don't let your oxygen level <laughs> fall below 80. Uh, and can you believe I'm a month into this and I still got <clears> Oh <throat> yeah. Lot. So, but before we get into that story, <laughs> I think we should make sure that nobody misses the Wyoming elk deadline that's coming up. Yeah, it's application season already. Yeah. If you miss the Wyoming elk deadline, you're not our friend anymore. That that implies that we thought they that <laughs> we thought anyone wanted to be our friend to start with. Uh, no, it, I don't know why Wyoming moved the deadline to February first this year. I think they just want to catch everybody off guard. Normally it's January thirty first. The thirty first is a Sunday
1: this year, though, so oh they're being kind and instead of saying hey you got to do it by the 29th they're going to give us an extra day
0: well they know like every other year and every other state the system's going to crash on the last day and they aren't going to have any tech support available on on a sunday so they moved it to a monday evidently yep huh all right well we don't want to miss that we don't Uh, that's for sure no, I'm not going to miss it. I I have zero points in Wyoming though because I drew a general tag last year. Yep. So, uh, how many points you got? Lots. Uh, no, not too many because we draw a general tag every two or
1: three years. Uh, last okay. year we we tried drawing just <laughs> on the regular, not the special tag, and mm. didn't work out. I think I've had two points last year, so I should have three. So
0: okay, should be able to draw at- this year. When I looked at the go hunt system, it said that in the regular draw you should draw your general tag with well, if everything stays like it was last year, you would draw with three points. Yeah. But that doesn't mean everything's gonna stay like it did last year. I know. But the the cost so you're going for the seven hundred and seven dollar regular fee. Yep. If you want to cough up another five hundred and seventy-six dollars, you can go into the special draw for twelve hundred and what is it? Twelve hundred and a lot? Twelve hundred and eighty-three dollars, I think. Uh, yeah, that'll make you cough even if you don't have COVID. No cure. Uh, but you're guaranteed to
1: draw a tag if you do that,
0: right? no (laughs) (laughs) come on
1: you pay that much more money and and I know in the past I've looked and there are a lot of tags that are the same odds for both or a lot of a lot of units that are the same odds for the regular and the special so you pay 570 some odd dollars more and it doesn't increase your chance so be aware of that as you're looking at odds that's where Go Hunt really comes in handy as you can look at both of the the different tag types
0: yeah so you're gonna pay that plus, so you're gonna front all the money. You're gonna pay the application fee, which I'm trying to remember is fifteen or twenty bucks. But here's where they get you that two and a half percent credit card transaction fee. That you don't get that back either. Yeah. So. Uh, it, you're you you front a pretty good chunk of money in Wyoming, and I'm not saying this to try scare everybody off so I can draw a zero points this year. But this year I'm really focusing on people trying to think this through of what should my budget allocation be? Where am I getting the most value for my money? And which states do I have to front the, all the money versus not? And can I? How do I make my budget work if I got to front a lot of money? Yep. So.
1: Yeah, I think and the other thing is you're you're fronting over thirteen hundred dollars for a special tag in January and you don't get it back until June.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we find out in, in May. May twenty and, yeah. and for some reason the Wyoming IT group down there can't get those refunds issued for about another month after they post the results. Yep. Huh. Well not
1: only that, but they can't get the draws figured out until five months after they (laughs) (laughs) closed the
0: application period. Yeah. Yeah. It used to be they closed it in the end of January and we found out in late February, but I found out why they changed that date. Uh, I talked to some people and, and what it is is this is probably more than people want to know about the Wyoming system, but Wyoming says non-residents get 7,250 tags every year by statute. And the first thing you do is you take 16% of what the limited entry tags are, and those go to non-residents, and then they make up the rest of it with general tags. Well, they don't do their final surveys and final quota numbers until sometime in April. So they were basing the non-resident numbers on the prior year. So in years when the quota was getting dropped because of drought or over harvest or just to adjust for the population numbers, non residents were getting sixteen percent of a bigger number <laughs> because it was based on the prior year. Huh. So they're getting an extra three tags. Yeah. So we were we were laying the pipe to the residents. Boy, I guess. Uh, so whatever that difference was, and so that's why they decided. You know what? We're we're going to push this non-resident draw deadline out until uh, we we come up with what the current year quotas are, so we we don't have this whipsaw thing of you know. But the flip side of that is, I asked a person. I said, "Well, what happens in years when you increase the quota?" Well, those years non-residents get less than they otherwise would have. <laughs> Wow. But why don't why don't they change the application period then,
1: like residence is June 1st, and they find out by June 17th if they drew yeah, or not. So yeah. they only need two weeks to to process that. Well, They're taking our money and holding on to it for
0: five months. I, I asked that question, and this really great state employee couldn't answer, and they said, well, I can't answer that for you. <laughs> I'm like, really? Well, I could, uh, but well, I'd have to kill you. Well, that or I'd get fired, maybe, yeah. was the answer. The reason Wyoming makes us do this before the January 30, well, this year, February 1st deadline, is the pressure from the outfitters was we want to be the first state out of the chute. In other words, we want those non-residents to sign contracts with us. So force the non-residents to have a deadline of January 31st. That way we get their money before the other states.
1: And now they're tied up with no other option once they find out if they didn't draw Wyoming. There you go. Man. They get so. you at the drive thru and they get you at the drive thru.
0: <laughs> so now I understand why that person couldn't helpful <laughs> at the state of Wyoming did not want to dive into what surely is a political influence. Yeah. Uh they were very smart and saying, you know, I don't have the answer to that. You'd have to ask somebody else, which usually when you get that response from a state or federal agency employee, that means there's politics involved. Yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah, I think I'd look this year that we can change our application. So that's weird too, right? You, you apply by February 1st. You can modify your application until like into the first week of May. May 10th. Is that what it is this yep. year? And then we find out, like they May post the draws up, something like, that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so they're
0: they're conducting the draw in a ten day window there. So, yeah, should we man. try to should we try to explain this complicated methodology of how they split this? the regular and special 60/40 and then once there they split everything 75 preference 25 random or should we just say you know what the best diagrams to see that uh, illustration is over at go hunt and go there and they'll tell you <laughs> <laughs> <There's> <laughs> there definitely be a good
1: it. illustration. And I think sometimes having a picture, at least for me, a, a picture yeah. and a graph there that says, okay, there's this many total tags, this many go to non residents. Within that pool, this percentage goes to the regular draw, this percentage goes to the special draw. And within each of those draws, 75% go to preference points and 25% go to random.
0: Yeah. So, so I have explained this so many times in the last month. But I think I can do it without a diagram. Perfect. But if you want to see a diagram, definitely go to the Go Hunt, sign up for the Insider, and use promo code elk Talk. right? Yep. And then they get a $50 gift card. They do. All right. So here's how it works I'm going to use an example. I don't know if there are any units that have 100 non resident elk tags, but we're going to go with that as my example, because then the math works easy. I'm an accountant, math isn't my strong suit, so uh, we're gonna gonna use 100 for this example. Very first thing they do, 60% or 60 of the tags go over in the regular draw, and 40 tags or 40% go in the special draw. So they split the pool of tags between regular and special, 60, 40. And then they go to each pot, that's uh, the non the non-resident regular or the non-resident special and they split that again so over in the the regular draw the less expensive draw 75% of the tags we all go in the in the preference point pool for that 75% of tags and they get allocated based on he or she who has the most points and anyone who doesn't draw in the preference point side goes over into the random part of the draw where they just disregard points and everybody has a chance, has an equal chance for 25% of those tags. But I shouldn't have started with the regular side <laughs> because they actually conduct the special draw first. So they do that same thing in the special draw. Where What was my example? We had 40 tags in the special draw. Yeah, 100 total, so 40 in the special. So 30 tags, or 75% of them are on the preference point system, and then 10 of them, or the remaining 25%, are a random draw. So, hopefully folks got that.
1: Yeah. So, you have to choose whether you want to go for the regular tag at the lower cost, or if you want to cough up $1,300 and change and go for the special draw. Yeah. And again, keep in mind, there are some units where you don't get any kind of a draw odd advantage by going special. That was the, the yeah. theoretic is, hey, let's just, let's increase the price to the point where people will drop off and not pay that much for a special tag. So those who are willing to pay a little more have better odds. Yeah. And I think uh, there there's some cases where it does gain you a little bit, a point or two maybe, but it's for a lot of it, it's it's only
0: a point or two at most. Yeah, but they teach you how to write a check. They do. In, in the in the CPA world, that's what we tell people. Sit down, let me teach you how to write a check here. <laughs> <laughs> well, Wyoming does that, but they don't take checks. It's all online. Credit card. <laughs> and then they charge
1: you an extra 2.5%
0: because of that. Yeah, yeah we're going to charge you 2.5% because we don't want to take a check. So It's, it's a convenience fee. Yeah. Because it's so convenient for them to take your money. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, they get any kinder down there, they'll die of enlargement of the heart or something. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the back to where I said that your non residents were guaranteed by statute 7,250 non resident tags in, in Wyoming. Yep. The majority of those end up being general tags. And you say you apply for the general. Mm-hmm. Last year I applied for the general tag I drew. Uh that's a pretty good tag. There's a lot of units you can hunt on that general tag. Oh yeah. And, like uh, a lot. Like I don't know the number. Are, numbers, you, are you gonna tell all... everyone are you gonna tell everyone which unit you hunt? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Now we're going to get all these emails. Corey, I want to know what unit you're hunting. <laughs> uh, that's the beauty of the general tag is there's so many units. No one necessarily knows where you're hunting. Well, and the other thing that I found,
1: we've actually hunted, I think, three different units now in Wyoming on the general tag. And I've not had a disappointing hunt yet. Really? Cool. So I think that it's uh, there are a lot of places you can go on that general tag and expect to have a good hunt you know we aren't getting into monster trophy bulls, which isn't my Mm -hmm. you know focus anyway but we're always into elk the bugling seems to be really good for the most part we always have
0: a good time cool and you're the archery expert so you go there in archery season i like it because i can go there in rifle season and they have staggered openers For their general rifle hunts, some are in the real backcountry areas. It opens in late September, then some in early October, some units in mid-October. So if you buy the archery stamp, you can go there and hunt archery season, September 1st through the 30th, and then come back in rifle season if you haven't filled your tag in archery season. Yeah. That's a lot of opportunity. It is. Hmm. Maybe they are going to die of enlargement of the heart down there in <laughs> Wyoming. They are. Well, <laughs> yeah. they'll be second in line behind Montana, I'm sure. But Yeah, right. Montana. We we wrote the book on how to lay the pipe to the non-resident. And uh, I'm now all our Montana listeners are going to send us an email. You're damn right, Newberg. <laughs> <clears throat> we want it that way. Uh, so, I don't know. I think Idaho took the cake this year, but... You know, I think uh Idaho has just fallen in line with every other state. Have you? I just got my Utah proclamations. Have you seen what they raised their prices to? No. Uh, that'll give you a COVID well, As you say, they're already high. Yeah, just wait till you see. Man, let's we'll yeah. talk about Utah here soon. Yeah, we'll we'll get them, we'll, we'll serve them up and, and <laughs> brag about part of it and complain about part exactly. of it, just like, just like we do with every other state. Uh, yeah. I'm just sitting here going, I'm being
1: pretty negative on Wyoming, but it's probably one of my more favorite yeah. states. Just I don't know yeah. why. I just I enjoy. It's close enough to Idaho that I don't have to drive for two days to
0: get there, and mm-hmm. just always get into elk and Yeah, people always ask me if you're a non-resident. In all the Western states, which states would you make your highest priority for elk hunting? And building points, I always tell them Wyoming and Arizona. Yeah. Those are the two states that if I didn't live in Montana and have over-the-counter elk hunting available to me, my first budget allocations would go to Wyoming and Arizona because they have great age class. You can, you know, even in Arizona, if you're willing to hunt the late rifle hunts, you can draw, you know, every reasonable number of years, but they both have a ton of public land yeah. and a lot of places to go hunting.
1: Well, if we're talking about allocating budgets, once you allocate your budget to those two states, you probably don't have any budget left.
0: <laughs> <laughs> True. And they're the first two states out of the gate. Yep. So your budget is already spent and you can just sit back and wait for the results. Yeah. In June. Yeah. Or you can... <laughs> <clears throat> or you can go to your kids and ask them if you can borrow some money out of their piggy bank yeah. and, uh, or go to your employer and ask for a payroll advance <laughs> um, whatever. And uh, when you put down the purpose
1: on there, you could say it's for mental health
0: relief. Groceries. There you go. Groceries. Yeah. 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 Heck with that. Yeah. I, w- I wonder if, if, yeah, you know, those folks who are getting, there's another COVID check coming, I guess. <laughs> 600 bucks or something. Well,
1: unless the Democrats win in Georgia today, then then it's 2,000, Biden said. Is it? Holy yeah. crap.
0: Yeah. You know what's going to happen to point applications and, and tag applications? <laughs> this, is the, this is the wrong time here to be giving people $2,000. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be giving them that until sometime in July, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> We're joking, folks. I understand <laughs> some people need this money. Okay, we're just making humor here. Don't send us hate hating grinding venomous emails.
1: You know, I heard that Blake Shelton got a whole bunch of hate on social media because he released a song and he said that his girlfriend makes him feel rich on minimum wage or something like that, and people were complaining, saying you shouldn't be huh. talking about minimum wage during a time like this. And <laughs> you're a millionaire and you don't understand what minimum wage is like. And hmm. I thought, man, he's singing a
0: love song during a time like this. I think. Yeah, well, that's okay. I mean, I I haven't heard the song. I'm, I'm either. <laughs> I'm more of a twangy old style country guy. I'd have uh, never but... guessed that. <laughs> <laughs> you would have never guessed, huh? No. <laughs> hmm. But isn't he on some, like, America's Greatest Singers or some show, some contest show or something? Isn't he one of the judges or something? Yeah, on The Voice. The Voice, huh? Yeah. Hmm. Don't know it. Yeah. Well, that's what, you know, I guess that's just... It's a cancel culture we live in, Corey. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you, know, you can't no, sing
1: love songs when people are getting sick.
0: Mm-mm. No good deed goes unpunished. That's you know? right. You know? Don't so. give anybody hope during a time when we're trying to hold them down. So if you do get your COVID check, or if you qualify, <laughs> you know maybe you can apply for more than Wyoming and Arizona this year. Maybe you can throw... Well, wait a second. Yeah. New Mexico elk requires a $65 upfront license fee. And if you're going to apply for the good units, it's $780. So I think they should bump the COVID stimulus checks to, what would that be? (laughs) (laughs) At least $750. Come on. Give the New Mexico folks a chance. That's right. How do we get traveling down this path? Man, I don't know. I'm sure. politics. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we, we
1: are so far out in the weeds. Well, let's, I'll uh, bring us back in. So, preference points are important in Wyoming. Yeah.
0: And yeah, it, used,
1: it used to be you could apply for an elk permit. Mm-hmm. And on that check the little box that says, if unsuccessful, give me a preference point for $50. Right. They don't let yep. you do that anymore. No. So, they get you at the drive through and then they get you later at the drive through. So, you got to yeah. come back in July, July 1st through November 2nd. And purchase a preference point if you don't draw your tag in Wyoming. Yeah, for 50 bucks, right? $50 for an elk. Plus an extra transaction fee. <laughs>
0: plus a transaction fee, plus an application fee, and yeah. yeah. I don't, don't forget those transaction fees, you know? That's how they, how they make their living. Yep. Did, did you see how many people... Uh, Wyoming just posted how many people are in their non-residents are in their preference point system. 124,000 different non-residents have somewhere between one and 15 preference points in, in Wyoming. So crazy. So that's the number people need to look at when they think about point creep. Because a huge number of that $124,000 are not even in last year's draw odds. They just buy points, buy points, buy points. So that big chunk of that 124000 they aren't even in the numbers you're looking at if you're only looking at last year's draw odds. Yep. So you got to look at how many people there are buying points on the side at each point level and know that those folks – are watching last year's draw odds and they say, wow, I got 13 points last year. It only took 12 to draw whatever tag I'm going to jump in this year. (laughs) So all the people with 11 or 12 points who thought, well, this might be my year. All these folks with 13 jump in ahead of them and create this thing called point creep. Yep. That's where point creep comes from.
1: Well, the, the, Matrix is so complicated that you have to use to look at this because on a year like 2021, Mm -hmm. Arizona's season dates aren't the greatest. You know, in Arizona, you're still going to have a good hunt, but the peak rut is timed almost perfectly with the full moon this year. Mm -hmm. With the non-ideal season dates and a full moon during the peak rut... In Arizona, somebody that has 15 or 18 points in Arizona would probably be better off waiting until next year. Yeah. So all of those people now are looking and saying, I'm not going to put in for Arizona. I could draw, but I'm not going to put in. I'll put in and draw Wyoming because I have 10 points there. Yeah. And so a lot of those people, you know, one state might not be ideal to apply for because of season dates or how the moon aligns or whatever it is. And so now they're going to be more likely to apply for another state such as Wyoming. So yep. Yeah, it's it's a very complicated maze that we're trying to wander through to draw a tag every once in a while.
0: Are you saying there's more than one moving part to this, Corey? there, there are a lot of moving parts. Well, that's where I get messed up. I'm an accountant. You know, the debits on the left have to equal the credits on the right. I'm I'm only allowed two pieces to my equation, so don't be throwing all this other stuff at me. Well, I'm going to apply, and here I'll just tell people what my strategy is in Wyoming since I have zero points. I know I'm not going to draw anything in the preference point draws, so I'm just looking at what are the random odds of each unit in the the you know the random portion, yep, because that's my only hope. And some people would say, well, I'm not going to draw on the preference. I may as well just buy a point this year. Well, if I'm gonna incur these costs for a point, I may as well buy quote unquote a raffle ticket by throwing my name in the hat for the 25 percent of the random tags. Yeah. And then and I'm gonna look. You, you invest your money for six months while you're at it. Yeah. Then I can't lose it on. I can't spend it on rifles and ammo <laughs>
1: until June.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, if you want to see my retirement portfolio, a lot of it is sitting here in the gun vault at the office. Really? hmm
1: I thought you were gonna say it's tied up in elk applications. Well, that too.
0: <laughs> that's, that's, that's my working capital is tied up in that. <laughs> I, I look at how long it took me to build up a, a budget when I started this in 1995, how long it took me to build enough budget to apply for the states I want to apply for. It was probably seven or eight years of cutting firewood, selling firewood, trapping beaver, other stuff that my wife did not look at as household money. And that money I just put over in the, all right, in my sock drawer or whatever you want to call it. Yep. So I I throw that out there because a lot of people think, oh well, he's an accountant, he's been able to, you know, just apply anywhere and everywhere, and money's not the issue. I'm the biggest tightwad you've ever seen when it comes to these applications. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I don't do Colorado moose, goat, or sheep. That's why I don't do Wyoming moose, goat, or sheep. Uh, that's why some of the states I don't even apply in at all, um, because I'm I'm making these decisions and these allocations based on what I think is the best use of my money, and I I keep hammering that home with people. You know, don't think that it's all about applying in every state. Think about what state is the most appealing to you, and what species. And some states are better value than others. And don't don't throw your money away just because your neighbor does, you know.
1: Yeah. So. No, and I think you were right. On with your you know, when you said Wyoming and Arizona would be your top two, I think you you pick a state that you've got a chance to hunt in every two to three years. So that gives you either Montana or Wyoming probably would be the the top two for that bucket. And mm-hmm. then you want one that you're gonna have a quality hunting where it's managed for an older age class more of a trophy type experience not necessarily a trophy elk but fewer hunters higher bull to cow ratios and that puts you in arizona uh you know utah and nevada are there but they're expensive and they're probably going to be less likely to draw um, at least be able to plan for drawing there as opposed to Arizona so I think Arizona yeah. and then the wild card is New Mexico where there's not a point system and you can apply and have a really good hunt and you can draw your first time putting in like I did yeah because you're lucky well that's because I applied you, you, with you
0: oh that was the first time you ever applied in New Mexico is when you applied with me mm-hmm oh my goodness it's the only time I've ever hunted in New Mexico <sighs> Only time and after that hunt, you're like, I don't care if I ever go again. <laughs> no. <laughs> I gotta hang out with Randy and Marcus. Oh <laughs> that. But, so I I say that when the question is about elk. Okay, so a lot of our listeners probably think about other species too. If my priority was archery meal deer, it, I wouldn't list Arizona and Wyoming, I'd list Colorado and Nevada. Because yep that they and i i do that to illustrate that depending on what your interest is by species by what intrigues you by i just want to go every year or whatever everybody's going to have a different priority of how they allocate their budget and there's no right and there's no wrong just do it in a sane manner that reflects what your interest is yep and if you're going to apply in Wyoming, make sure you have about thirteen hundred dollars or fourteen hundred dollars of space on your credit card that you don't <laughs> don't need for anything for about five months. Yeah,
1: no, I just look. I, I have uh, I have two points in Wyoming for elk. I have five in Wyoming for deer and five for antelope.
0: So really, when are we going antelope hunting?
1: I don't know. Hmm. I haven't been antelope hunting for a long time.
0: Hmm. Huh. I can fix that for you.
1: Oh, yeah? Yeah. I heard Wyoming antelope hunting, you only have to plan
0: being there for a day. In most units, if it's just about <laughs> putting one in the in the cooler, yeah. If it takes you past breakfast time, you've, you've probably wasted your time. <laughs> <clears throat> or you just didn't get out of bed that morning. Yeah. But, well, Wyoming elk, February 1st, don't miss it, folks. Yep. It, you know, do you, have you noticed how uh, sometimes we get questions or, or comments from the the contact us part on the Elk Talk podcast website of why do you guys spend so much time talking about drawing tags? Well, last I checked, you need a tag to go hunting. <laughs> you no, know, that's like step number one. I think most of
1: the people that are sending those emails are probably from Idaho, Oregon, or Montana.
0: Or they they can just get over the counter. They can just,
1: as a resident, go to the Walmart and buy a tag and Mm -hmm. go hunting. And they don't realize that outside of those little bubbles that we're fortunate to live in, everybody else has to apply.
0: Yeah. Yeah, imagine if you lived in Arizona, New Mexico, Nevada, Utah. I guess Utah has a few over-the-counter general tags, but... In Nevada, you draw an elk tag, and I think you're you're in the penalty box for five years before you can jump back in the system. Yep. It's like, whew, wow, we're spoiled, Corey.
1: Yep. Yeah. Could you imagine living no, in I, Idaho and and draw or getting an elk tag and then not being able to even go elk hunting for five years?
0: No, I. They don't have enough love or money to get me to live in a state like that. <laughs> I mean, I love Nevada. I went to college there, and I got a lot of friends there. But it, <clears throat> they aren't getting me there. Yeah, uh, but we'll apply there every year as an on-resident. Oh yeah. So oh yeah. Yeah, I'll I'll gladly give them. Well, not gladly, but I'll give them grudgingly. Give them my money. Yep and uh, hope that they take my points and my money. I don't want that money back. (laughs) Here, here's my money. Don't give it back to me. Uh, And no, it's not a donation. It's a tag purchase. That's right. (laughs) Just send me a tag in exchange. Yeah. So when you go do your uh, elk hunts in the general areas in Wyoming, I guess the only added cost is you got to buy that archery stamp or whatever it is. Gosh, I'd have to look. Yeah, is it? And it's. I bring it up because the, there's two stamps you got to buy in Wyoming. You got to buy the habitat stamp, and yep. if you're going archery hunt, you got to buy the archery stamp, and don't forget them.
1: Yep. And the other thing to be aware of is if there are feed grounds mm-hmm. in the unit you plan to hunt, you have Ooh, yeah. to buy a special feed ground enhancement yep. permit or something.
0: Yep, and those are in the western part of the state.
1: And there are quite a few. Once I started looking, I didn't realize the first couple Mm -hmm. years, unfortunately, we didn't hunt in an area the first couple times. It had feed areas, but I think the third time we went there, there was a feed area in the unit, nowhere near where we were hunting. But we had to buy that to legally be safe, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, this is always the, the, the rub with Wyoming is... If you are going to hunt in a designated wilderness area, and for those of you not familiar with this stuff, that doesn't mean forest service. It doesn't mean wilderness study area. It means a designated wilderness area designated under the Wilderness Act of 1964. If you hunt in one of those areas, you have two options, well, three. Move to Wyoming and establish residency, and then you're not subject to this rule. My wife isn't going for that. (laughs) Uh, Or you hire an outfitter or you find a Wyoming resident who will serve as your, I don't know, what what do you call it? Is it like a mentor, proxy guide, something? Yeah, they they have to be a
1: a resident and accompany you on the hunt. Yeah.
0: And people always ask me, why are you more wound up about that? I mean, you're the public land guy. Why aren't you more wound up about that wilderness law in Wyoming? And this is where I'm going to open a little can of worms here. So <laughs> send all the emails to Corey, not to me. Just keep uh, in mind, Randy's still in a COVID fog. So Yeah, I'm under my COVID meds here. <laughs> Between my COVID medications and my liver medications, I'm a hypochondriac. I think <laughs> or they, they qualify. For breakfast, I just had medicine. <laughs> Coffee and medicine. Ah. Followed it down with cough syrup. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So... Uh, The You know, that whole deal about having to hire uh, an outfitter to hunt wilderness areas. One of the reasons I don't get too worked up about it in Wyoming is because they're so generous to us as far as their allocation of non-resident tags. I mean, your state of Idaho, my state of Montana, we cap non-residents at up to 10%. Well, Wyoming gives us 16% of the elk tags, 25% of the moose, goat, sheep, and, I think, bison tags, and 30 to 40%, whether it's deer or elk. If you said you were going to give 25% of our moose, goat, and sheep tags in Montana, (laughs) the non-residents, they'd burn the Capitol building down. So, I, I try to look at that. As kind of a bigger picture thing. Okay, yeah, there are some areas in Wyoming I can't hunt because I'm not going to go with an outfitter. But they're so generous with the tag allocation, I'm not I'm, I'm not losing any sleep over it. Now, yeah. every year, and this is where the can of worms is getting opened up. Uh, a couple of years ago, there was a bill to possibly change Wyoming's allocation to 90-10 like other states are and i under, if i was a wyoming resident i'd be pushing for that you know even even more limited entry tags to me yep. or to you know to residents so i i completely understand why wyoming residents push for that mm-hmm. and i will say that if that changes i'd probably my hackles about the non-resident wilderness thing my hackles would be raised a little bit more if if Wyoming quits being as generous to non-residents as they are, yep, there's there's kind of a
1: little bit of a web there in in that whole situation because the Outfitter Association is strongly in favor of keeping the wilderness designation rule because it benefits yep. them. You have to you have to hire an outfitter if you want to go into those areas, so they're yep. in favor of that. Coincidentally, they're also in favor of providing <laughs> more tags to non residents. So yeah. <laughs> they're going to bat for non residents keeping more mm-hmm. tags, but they're also batting against opening up wilderness to non residents. So they're kind of stuck in a catch twenty two there. When the residents start screaming, Hey, let's reduce the number of non resident tags, the guides and outfitters are coming to our side and you know, when we right. start screaming, Let's open wilderness, they're they're against us. So Yeah. So are you saying follow the money? Uh, well, <laughs> in a roundabout
0: way, maybe that's what the because conclusion doubt, could be. I, I doubt that much of that positioning there is done for altruistic reasons. <laughs> <laughs> just, just saying. I mean, you know, uh,
1: I better shut up. But, hey, it takes money to manage wildlife. That is a
0: fact. That, so That is true. And, you know, we can look at, south dakota they don't give away any non-resident elk tags and they're not required to north dakota has a ton of moose tags they don't give away any non-resident moose tags so i i use those two examples in the under the laws of the united states the way the court cases were decided going back to the first one in 1842 of mount martin versus waddell states are not required to give any non-resident opportunity if they don't want to. no nope. So, I try to again step back and look at big picture and say, you know what, the fact that Idaho gives up to 10% of those really cool Shiras moose tags to us non-residents, that's 10% more than they're required to, so I'm not going to complain real hard. Yeah.
1: And the other good part about that is the draw odds are fairly good for yeah. some of those. So
0: Yeah. And so when Wyoming says we're going to give you 16% of our non-res- or non-residents, non we're going to give you 16% of our limited entry out tags, when technically they don't have to give any if they didn't want to, I'm like, you know, what? I, I'm I'm just going to say, hey, those are the rules and here's my money and cross my fingers that I draw a tag. Yeah. And, we're, uh, we're
1: good with the ninety two percent of the state that's national forest and BLM that we can hunt and we'll yeah.
0: sacrifice that eight <laughs>
1: percent of wilderness area.
0: Yeah. I, I that's a good way to put it, Corey. Are we gonna worry about the other eight percent where we can't hunt and kick the hornet's nest with the with the residents and get them so PO'd that they cut us down to ten percent of the tags? Yeah i'm a i'm a glass is ninety two percent full kind of guy <laughs> uh, i'm with you <laughs> have we have we done all we can to complicate and destroy the myths related to Wyoming elk draws? I think so. I don't think there's
1: uh, anything else we're we're missing. If you don't purchase a preference point for two consecutive years, you lose your preference points. So
0: Ooh, don't yeah, forget,
1: you're, you're sitting out and saying, hey, I'm not going to apply for Wyoming this year. Keep in mind, if you didn't apply last year and you didn't buy preference points, you're going to lose them. So
0: yeah, don't forget that about happened. that. Happened to my brother and one of my uncles. They were building points and then they... I don't know what happened. I, I quit doing application for him is probably what happened. And, uh, I, uh, so you forgot, <laughs> no, that sounds I, like, I, that sounds I, like I, I an open door, door to blame you, know. you. Well, they probably are blaming me, but I said, Hey guys, you know, I'm tired of fronting this money. You guys get to front your own. Cause well, <laughs> I quit fronting their money. They quit applying and then fell behind the curve or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I think we've covered Wyoming. Just don't forget that February 1st deadline. Or, or well, maybe we should tell them all the deadlines February 14th that make our draw odds better. Oh, there we go. Or we well, could f- tell them... You know, my February 11th sticks in my mind because it's my anniversary. So I'll just tell them, hey, you know, February 11th is a pretty important date. <laughs> Don't <laughs> miss it. That's I'm not, not our God. job here, Andy. Our job here is to educate with
1: facts. All right. Huh. Well, <laughs> maybe the educate and facts going together doesn't always happen, but. yeah.
0: Well, if you're tired of listening to this rambling, carrying on, and you got nothing out of it. Uh, I can assure you that you would get a whole lot more out of Brady and Trail and their strategy articles that they write for the insider. So, yep. And that's over at Go a, Hunt. Yeah. They do a really good job. So, uh, but you can also, there's parts of Wyoming, and this is my segue. This is how good I am at this, Corey. <laughs> We're going to segue to that picture that you sent me. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm going to talk about the fact that in Wyoming, you can hunt wolves in a lot of the state. Some parts of the state, the wolves are considered quote-unquote predator. You don't even need a tag. You just, you know, shoot outside. Go. Yeah. And then there's some parts up around the park, Yellowstone Park and Jackson, and that's where it's, it's considered a big game area or something like that. So know the rules, but have a tag in your pocket and be ready in case you see one because – uh there's not as many wolves in Wyoming as there is in your state of Idaho. You guys are like the Rocky Mountain capital of wolves.
1: We are. Yeah, we were kind of the epicenter, I think. And yeah. But there's one, and less, there, there's one less <laughs> there's one less. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So tell
0: me tell me how that happened.
1: Well, I, I probably need to back up a little and, and tell the whole story. So Oh yeah,
0: we don't we don't just want the punchline. Yeah. We need the whole
1: Oh yeah! This, this is a story three years in the making. So <laughs> pull up, pull up some popcorn here and get ready because it's a long one. But now uh, a couple of years ago, Tyler Crockett and myself we share an office and we both have a passion for elk hunting and wolf hunting and shed hunting and just about anything outdoors. And uh, we decided we were going to wolf hunt, and so we headed out and we found some wolf tracks. And coincidentally, the first day we hunted together, we spotted a pack of eight wolves. And we spent eight straight days following that pack and never seeing them again. And we were on their fresh tracks every single day. We came across multiple elk kills. We found five mature bull elk that they'd killed in one drainage and put trail cameras on them, you know, just to learn more. Do they come back to these kills? Should we be sitting on kills? And, And through that found that yeah they do come back and even the ones that there's nothing there but hooves and bones and the bones are broken in half and the the marrow's eaten out of the inside of the bone halfway up but they still come back to those areas in the winter really and so I we found that. yeah it was crazy i mean there's nothing there the the hide itself was gnawed down there were holes in it and chew marks in it and every scrap of meat it looked like they'd fed the the whole carcass to a bunch of beetles and just should lay in there, nothing on the bone, eating down, but those wolves would come back and they would check, you know, they wouldn't even necessarily chew on anything or take anything or eat anything, but they'd come back to those kills and check on the kills. And hmm. so we learned that and we ended up setting up on a, a big six by seven bull that they had killed uh, in a creek bottom. There's a little meadow next to it. And so we got up on the ridge, set up there. And this was what are we in 2020 now. So this was in 2018. 2021, 2018, somewhere in 2019, a couple of years ago anyway. And we sat up there and this pack of wolves came in that we'd been chasing and they walked through the meadow where the dead elk was. We happened to see them. And our whole goal for all this was to document the impact that the wolves have on elk in the winter, the importance of managing all wildlife, the relationship between predator and prey. And so we did, we were doing interviews multiple times a day talking about, okay, here's some tracks. We found fresh tracks. Uh, This is the same draw where we found the dead elk, you know, and we're doing our part to, to play our role in management, which is what hunting is for. It's to manage the the populations of wildlife. Mm -hmm. So that was our whole message through all of this. And we recorded a ton of content. We had four video cameras set up from our perch when those wolves came in i reached over to my main video camera hit record turned power on hit record climbed over in front of tyler who reached over to his main camera turned on the power hit record then we each had gopros and a, another little camera focused on us for the shot and the wolf comes out i shoot hit him tyler shoots misses a wolf because they're all scattering and running through the trees at that point and we're high-fiving and excited and we go back to the cameras mine's a black screen I had hit record too (laughs) early after turning the power on, and it wasn't ready to record, and so it just shut off after five minutes without recording anything. And Tyler had hit record, and an error popped up and said memory card formatting issue. (laughs) (laughs) So we got no footage of the actual kill sequence, but we had all of this incredible footage of everything, you know, the whole hunt for eight days until all the footage that was stored on a hard drive on a laptop crashed and oh, we yeah. lost all of the footage. So we didn't not only not have the kill footage, we lost all of that
0: incredible footage. Mm. So since that time, it's been our so, goal. So who, who got fired for not having an alternative backup? It was me. See, I'm not a camera mm. guy.
1: That's see. We were doing all this uh, without yeah. a camera guy. This is just Tyler and I mm. doing that. So lessons learned john started coming along with me and videoing stuff and john backs everything up and takes really cool pictures and everything else uh, in addition to what tyler and i could do so for the last two years we've been going out and we haven't had a lot of time i coach high school basketball and that runs from first part of november through the first part of march which is prime time for wolf hunting and Mm -hmm. that year that i shot the wolf it was mid-march uh And so that's why I was able to do it. But the last couple of years, you know, any free day we have when we can get John out, we go out and we look for wolf tracks and we're trying to call them in. And it's been, we've had a tough time the last year or two, just fewer encounters with big packs of wolves, which when you get into a a pack with only two or three wolves in it, they're a lot harder to hunt because they aren't killing as much. They don't have to move as much. They aren't leaving as many tracks because there aren't as many and they aren't hunting as much. And then when you get into a, a place where they are, you're looking for two or three animals instead of eight or 10. So it's been a little more complicated, but two years ago, Tyler and I went wolf hunting and we stepped out of the truck and wolves were howling about a mile away up in this basin. So we hiked up into the basin, got up on the ridge, let out a howl, nothing answered, but I'm glassing and across the hillside, 550 yards, there's a wolf sitting on the open hillside. And Mm -hmm. up above it, there's one walking across the hillside. And so I get my rifle all set up. I set up the backpack, get the, the bipod set up, everything. I range it 550 yards, whatever it was. And I go to dial my scope. This was my first time hunting with a scope that dials. And I quickly realized it's a lot like when you're shooting a bow with a single pin and you have to dial your pin. And when you shoot at an 80-yard target and go to a 20-yard target and forget to change, <laughs> bad things happen.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Fortunately, I realized this before I shot and realized I didn't have my dope chart. I didn't have my chart for the ballistics of what I needed to dial the scope to and it was zeroed Mm -hmm. at 200 yards, and being at 550, I could have guessed, okay, there's three inches of drop to 300, there's 12 inches of drop to 400, let's give it 30 inches and hold over and, and see if we can come close. But knowing how... Crafty that wolves are. If we had a shot and missed, we'd have never seen them again. And so I decided not to shoot. Tyler was about thirty yards from me, and there was a little bit of snow on the ground. And so he's trying to sneak down there to get set up. By the time he got there, we watched the wolves disappear into the timber, and then they start howling. And they howled for like thirty straight minutes and wouldn't come out. And they they just knew something was up.
0: Hmm.
1: So that was two years ago.
0: Tyler and so, I went. Yeah. So uh, I I'm. Making notes here. You didn't back up the hard drive. You left your dope chart at, at home or at the in the truck. This is a lot of new stuff <laughs> for me. Who's your, who's your boss? <laughs> You know, people at my operation get fired over uh, stuff like
1: exactly. that. Exactly, yeah. Oh, you can bet there's been nights of me laying awake in bed with heartache over not okay. having some of that stuff, just because the educational value of something like that. Obviously, the people are going to climb out of the woodwork to threaten to murder <laughs> us, and they we're just puppy killers, and, you know, all the all the yeah. normal stuff. But oh, yeah. I, think, I think there's a good percentage of that mix in there that, doesn't understand the importance of it that's open to to understanding it and I think we have a really good platform to share that educational piece and so Mm -hmm. I was disappointed that we missed out on that so my goal has been to recreate a lot of the educational stuff and then get a wolf kill on video because it's just it's not the same without videoing it you know it becomes a documentary that doesn't have any any real teeth and so we went back to that same area three or four times. We had a really close encounter with the same pack again. Uh, actually called them in from about a mile and a half away. They came in. We saw them moving through the trees about 300 yards in front of us, and we're just locked in waiting for them to step out, and nothing, nothing, nothing. For about 40 minutes, I decided to rabbit squeal to see if that would pull them in the last little bit, and they ended up being 150 yards up above us on the ridge, poking their nose over the ridge looking and not not stepping out and exposing themselves. And so as soon as we start calling, they realize something's wrong and they take off running. We see them running through the trees. So no shot there. Hmm. Uh, During all this, we also encountered a mountain lion and (laughs) another comedy of errors. We didn't get a shot at it, but a lot of really cool predator opportunities in this area. So,
0: yeah, what, what, what do you get? You just you, you get just grow them there, or what? what it seems like we do. We uh, we
1: we have a lot of. Well, we used to have a lot of big game to feed them. Now it seems like we're running short on food for them. So, so now they eat pets. And now they eat pets, and, and yeah, yeah. So yeah. Christmas Eve, I convinced my family to go for a little drive.
0: Christmas in, Eve, like three weeks ago, two yeah. weeks ago, yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. I said, hey, let's get out of the house. There's a nice new layer of snow. Let's take a drive and see if we can see any elk or deer. <laughs> and so we took a drive, and we ended up in this same area. And I said, hey, I, I had wolves howl from right here at the road a couple of years ago. Let's let's stop, and I'll see if I can get wolves to howl. So I got out, and I did three sessions. That's kind of what I do. I'll howl for a bit, and then listen for three or four minutes, and howl for a bit, and listen for three or four minutes, and then howl for a bit. And if nothing answers, then I assume there's nothing there. I've since learned a little bit on that, which I'll talk about in a little bit. But I howled three times, nothing answered. And I turned around to walk to the truck where my kids are hanging out with excitement. And our new little puppy is there whimpering because I'm howling like a wolf. And he's not sure why I'm making that weird noise. (laughs) (laughs) And as I get to the truck to grab the door, I hear howling on the other side of the canyon. And so we all get to listen to these wolves light up. And they're probably... 3 quarters of a mile away but you know a big open canyon you can hear him just just plain as day. And so we only had about 30 minutes of daylight left. I did have my rifle with me which I was hoping that we could hear him getting closer but they weren't getting closer. They just sat over on that hill and kept howling. So that was Christmas Eve. So my daughter and I decided we were going to brave the frigid cold and go camping in that area a week later. So, uh, two days before New Year's Eve, we went down there and, and camped. And I hiked up onto the hillside. She couldn't hike with me. She tore her ACL in uh, basketball and was waiting for surgery later this month. But she went down there with me and helped down camp, oh. got down to minus 12 uh but i went up on that hill and there were tracks all over but nothing fresh they were from four or five days earlier i couldn't find any kills and nothing would answer so i set up on a i could see tons of open hillsides and set up there until just about dark and i'd howl every 30 minutes or so just hoping something would pipe off or something would quietly walk out onto a hillside and nothing did the lots of mule deer which is what they Primarily eat in this area. Most of the elk are a little bit higher or a little bit lower in elevation. Mule deer up here a little higher, and we always find a lot of dead mule deer there. And I didn't find any on this side of the canyon. So, got back to camp, and we camped right in that location where we had heard them howling from four or five days earlier, thinking if they're anywhere in this canyon, we'll be able to hear them at night. Mm-hmm. And so, about nine thirty at night, I went outside and hadn't heard anything, and uh, stood out there for about 10 minutes just in the quiet and it's just crystal clear and cold as can be. And I howled three times and nothing answered. And I turned to walk back and they lit up in the exact same place where Tyler and I got into them two years ago. Whoa. And they, they-, ha- they howled for over an hour up on that hill. Every time I'd make a noise, they'd start howling at me. You're going to mm-hmm. ask something? Yeah.
0: Are they that habitual where they show up or this just coincidence? It gets even
1: better. It gets even better. (laughs) So next morning before daylight, I get up and drive down the road a little bit, get to a a point where there's a nice ridge. And I know kind of, you know, the wind's going to be coming down. If they're in that same basin, I've got a finger ridge that'll protect me from thermals. I can hike up it. I can get up on that and I'll be able to look across the same place where Tyler and I had seen him before. So I do the exact thing. I walk up to the first little vantage point I can get to, and it's about a mile up there. Get to this vantage point, and I get everything set up. I can see pretty good, and there's one little place where three ridges come together, and there's a little flat, just a little bench right there. And I, every time I've been there, I thought, man, if an animal is going to be anywhere on this hillside, that's where it would be. Mm-hmm. And so I get a good look at that. I set up, and I watch for a few minutes, and I start calling. And nothing. And I call some more and nothing. And I'm just glassing everything, looking for any movement, anticipating hearing a a howl, and there's nothing. And so I pick everything up, back out of there, slip around the back of the ridge again so I'm not making noise because the snow's really crunchy. And get up to the the point where Tyler and I had set up two years before. I walk Mm -hmm. up to the exact same little sagebrush I had sat in front of two years ago. I sit down, I pull up my binoculars, and sitting under the exact same tree is a wolf oh and <laughs> and 30 yards behind it sitting in the exact same place where the other one had walked two years ago there's a second wolf sitting there wow. and judging by the tracks three or two years ago there were three wolves in this pack judging by the tracks i saw across the canyon the night before there were three wolves i've seen two of them here and i'm thinking okay hey, there's another big one somewhere because the, the track was just huge mm-hmm. and these two were just average sized wolves you know, just. 60 70 pound wolves yeah and so i'm trying to get set up i set the bipod Mm -hmm. and i get laid down on the ground and there's sagebrush just high enough that i can't get the rifle up to shoot over it so i've got to reposition so i back out a little bit and again crunchy snow i'm trying to go really quiet i get up on the point of the ridge where i have a a more clean shot to that hillside Mm -hmm. and i pull up the scope and the wolf the closest wolf to me is turned and walking straight away Oh, and I'm getting darn. a little bit panicked. I mean, my heart is just pounding because <laughs> this is my opportunity. You don't get opportunities like this very often. Yeah. And this wolf is walking straight away. I pull up the range finder, hit it. It's 550 yards. I have everything dialed and I get it in the scope just as it walks behind a tree. And I'm thinking, turn left or right, just turn left or right, either side. And it didn't. It walked straight away in line with that tree and I never saw mm-hmm. it again. Oh man! So I sat there for a good minute or two, just scrambling with the binoculars, trying to pick up movement or see where they're going to come out. And there's just there's really nowhere obvious where it's like, oh, he's going to walk out in that opening. And I think they must have heard me, you know, crunching the snow, or there there was just something that they knew wasn't right because they were sitting on that open hillside, and then they got up and just disappeared into the timber. Mm -hmm. And my first thought was, I've got to do something to get them to step out. So I'm just going to howl. And so I howled, I think twice, just two quick howls, pulled up the binoculars, and at that point where three ridges come together and there's a little bench, there was a wolf that was laying there, and he stood up and started walking away. And I was ready. I swung the scope over to him. He was actually still walking, quartering away. I put the bead on him and squeezed off, and he hit the ground. Wow. And I took the second <laughs> shot, just, you know, thinking, I just got to put another bullet in him. I've seen these things before. You know, he was biting kind of back at his side, like biting yeah. at it. And I thought, I'm going to shoot again. So I shoot again. And he stands up and starts walking down the hill limping. And I thought, oh, no, did I just hit him in the leg the first time? And so I'm, again, frantically trying to pick him up, moving. I'm not mm-hmm. finding any movement or anything. But about then, the other two wolves start howling, which... In times past, any time that we've shot a wolf, they kind of scatter and then they howl to regroup. Mm -hmm. And they'll howl for 20 or 30 minutes, you know, waiting for the rest of the wolves to catch up to them. And so I immediately having two tags in my pocket, jump up on the ridge and take off up there thinking if I can catch one of those other wolves on an open hillside, you know, I'll shoot one of them too. And I make it about 300 yards up the ridge and glass back across to where the wolf I had just shot at was, and he's laying there about 10 feet away from where I shot at him dead. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> cool. Walk up there, it happens to be the the big alpha male. Um, it was a All big right. big dog. I packed it out whole, which was not a fun trip. It was a steep hill. I had to go down and back up and then down and, but I wanted to weigh it and see, you know, I hear people talk about 150 pound wolves and I wanted to see what it weighs. And I weighed it. It was exactly 90 pounds and it was a a good mature. If you've seen the pictures, you, you can see it's a, it's a healthy male wolf. Um, but yeah, so I had a GoPro with me. I set the GoPro up and i hit record and i have a 17 minute clip of me scrambling around and moving and (laughs) getting set up and if you've ever watched gopro footage you don't see a wolf at 550 yards but you see me scrambling around and taking the shot and then walking up on the wolf and all that cool yeah so is that going to be on the elk 101 youtube channel i think it will i think uh we will put together a, a good educational piece and again three years ago when we first started all this the first day we went out i had a picture of the snowmobile with a rifle case strapped on it and i said wolf hunting officially begins now hashtag wolf hunting or something Uh i bet about 50 percent of the responses to that instagram post were negative to the point of i hope your snowmobile crashes and you die in a fiery crash i hope hope an airplane crashes (laughs) on your home and kills you and your family i mean just Terrible, terrible things to say. And it's just a picture of a snowmobile and a rifle. And so I spent the next eight days educating on... You know, and I'm not saying I'm the expert on it, but just educating on the impact that wolves had, why there's a need to manage wolves, why nature can't manage itself anymore. Um, just yeah. all these points that really, once you hear the facts, you can't argue with it. And, let, you know, if you're running off a of strictly emotion, yes, you can yeah. argue with anything. But if you're open to some logic and some facts, it's pretty hard to argue with the fact that we have to manage not only the the elk and deer herds, but as part of that, we have to manage the predators as well. And by the yeah. time I shot that wolf two or three years ago, when I posted the picture of it, I didn't get a single negative response to a picture of a dead wolf. Really? This time was a little wow. different. I posted it and I, 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 you know, I just don't like negativity. And so if somebody has yeah. a good point or somebody is truly wanting to be educated, I'll leave a, a negative comment up. But mm-hmm. if it's one of those things, you know, the the language some of these people use is atrocious and so those get deleted and then anybody that says they're going to kill me or my family or let their dog attack me those those get deleted but there were quite a few of those this time so i'm excited to put together a video talk (laughs) about all of the educational components that go into management and conservation and use the the wolf hunt as the platform to express that
0: yeah wow well I just posted a wolf hunt on, on my YouTube channel. And it a, wasn't very even simple, really, a
1: very similar yeah. wolf hunt, I might add, because you didn't yeah. have a cameraman and filmed it solo. Yeah.
0: yeah, I just filmed it on my cell phone of me scrambling and, and not having a round in the chamber and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I I spent the better part of one weekend going through all the comments on that video and deleting a lot of people from my channel. Yep. <laughs> it's like, uh, there's a part of me that, you know, oh, someone's going to shoot you someday, or, you know, and I want to say, <laughs> really? They better make their first shot a good one. <laughs> but yep. it's like, you know, there's no value in engaging in any type of banter with a person who like that, and so I hope that when you do it and you add all that other stuff, that it, it causes people to look at it from a bigger picture standpoint. and: uh, Yeah, and a lot of
1: their arguments, you know, they say things like, well, look at Yellowstone, the, the numbers have reached equilibrium, and nature can manage itself, and the, the elk numbers were too high, the wolf numbers went in and dropped the elk numbers, and now everything's kind of reached equilibrium, and it's, it's fairly constant. And that's what they don't understand is Yellowstone is not the real world. You know, you go to Yellowstone and an elk will lay next to the road three feet away from a diesel truck running and bugle. You know, that doesn't happen. They're habituated to humans in the park and wolves will kill an elk. 20 yards in front of a person and the whole pack will sit there and eat it in front of a group of photographers. That doesn't happen in the real world. And, you know, in addition to encroachment of subdivisions and habitat loss and road building and all these other things that affect wildlife, we've impacted it to the point where we have to be involved in the management of it. And, you know, I just think that presenting some of those facts in a way that's not accusatory or defensive or inflammatory, just expressing some of these things that have changed the landscape of wildlife management to the point where nature can't manage nature. And some of the other factors that you add on top of um, natural management, okay. are, they can be devastating to the future of wildlife. And so we, we do have to play an active role in that. And so I hope to be able to to share that message and at least for those who are on the fence or those who who might not understand some of the intricacies of wildlife management hopefully they'll at least be open to to that a little more than what they've been yeah
0: that's you bring up a really good point of the uh, you know nature will balance itself well uh, not that any of us individually but collectively over the last 200 years on this continent we have pushed all wildlife to the fringes of their habitat because we've taken their premium habitat for yeah. cities and roads and dams and lakes and reservoirs and uh, you know, whatever it might be. And when you push wild species to the fringes of their habitat, their ability to sustain and withstand predation is not what it's like in large, uninterrupted landscapes. And we don't have any large, uninterrupted landscapes in the lower forty eight really, to speak of. And people will say, "Oh, well, you got big wilderness areas. Well, guess what? <laughs> Nothing lives in those wilderness areas in the winter. historically those those species have always migrated out of the wilderness areas, and when they do, now they get to hang out in subdivisions or they're you know, up in the foothills where they have to stay, even though they never used to stay there and so. And they're yeah, in farm
1: fields where they're damaging yeah. crops, and I mean, there's just a whole, just yeah. a, a very complex litany of things that are going on that nature didn't intend for, and we have to we have to
0: compensate for through our management and our involvement in that management. Yeah, I I tell people if you want that big happy you know kumbaya world among the the wild things, then you better grab all 330 million Americans. And say, you know, let's pack up and head back to where our ancestors came from. But before we do that, let's restore the landscape, get rid of all the infrastructure (laughs) and roads and highways and everything else. And then we can talk about something like that. But until we're all ready to do that, uh, uh, this fictional world of, you know, the big happy circle of life, everything balances itself out. uh, That's a bunch of horse hockey I you
1: know you just think elk bison they were plains animals they were yeah. able to escape predation because a wolf isn't you know nearly as effective out on the wide open plains now we've got subdivisions and freeways everywhere there the elk don't have their habitual winter grounds yeah. uh, you've got there's just so many factors there you know lewis and clark came across the rocky mountains and about starved to death because there was no game <laughs> Yeah, You know, (laughs) how can we say before humans were here, nature managed itself. Nature killed itself off sometimes because there was no, there was no control. Whether it was from predation, from bad weather, from drought, you know, with with hunting, at least it's a management tool we can control and we can adjust how we interfere with wildlife to keep their populations
0: where they need to be. Yeah. But I... I wish you a lot of luck in having that discussion. (laughs) The good news is there always are some, you know, those middle of the road, open-minded people. And those are really the folks who, who you're trying to, to reach. You know, like the person who's threatening, you know, I'm going to come burn your house and shoot your dogs and poison your children. Uh, you're never going to make any headway with that person.
1: No, and I want so badly to to engage them, but you're right. and I don't. I just delete them. I sit there and think of three things I could say and realize, <laughs> you know what, that's it's going to make uh, me. Don't argue with a fool because those watching will have a trouble telling
0: who's who. And yeah, I don't want yeah. to engage in that. <laughs> yeah, it, the the futility of it is right up there with trying to change political opinions on Facebook. <laughs> you know, good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, I'm glad that you got out and did it, Corey. Um, we're, uh, we're getting ready to cook a wolf here. Uh, now that I'm past COVID, I believe, or most of the way through it. You should, have,
1: you should have done it while you had COVID. The only way you could get me to eat a wolf is if I couldn't <laughs> taste or smell anything.
0: So, this wolf that I shot, it was the first wolf I've ever been around that did not smell like 10-day-old gut shot elk. It wasn't a wolf then. <laughs> no, really it, uh, I really did I agree with you. Every other wolf I've ever been around through trapping or hunting or found them dead along the road, they stink so bad. I, I mean, it is just, you're, it's all you can do to not regurgitate and vomit when you walk up to them.
1: It is, and you would think, okay, yeah, they're they're eating out of an elk gut pile continually, so it makes sense that, yeah, their hide stinks. Their carcass stinks. Like, when you take the hide off it and smell the meat, it stinks just as bad as the hide. And it literally, it reminds me of trying to process an elk that's been shot through the guts, and you're sitting there not breathing through your nose, you're gagging if you do. (laughs) Wolves smell like that. It's bad.
0: Well, maybe the one I shot last year was the vegetarian. Of that the world. could be, maybe I don't mm. know. But she really, she was not foul at all. Um, hmm. so. well. But it's it's interesting that you packed the whole thing out. Uh, I'm getting the one I shot. I'm taking the teeth out to get it aged. They thought it was an ancient old gal. Oh really? Uh, I, I thought it was a male at first because of how big it was. Yeah, uh, it turned out to be a female. Um, But I said, wow, that's a really big female. But you you said 90 pounds, and that's an alpha male. I've talked to our biologists here in Montana who were involved in all the trapping and tagging and collaring when wolves were first brought here. The largest wolf in all their years of doing that that they ever tagged and collared was 140 pounds it was a male and the the person said i think it had just got off a really fresh kill after that and probably had about 20 pounds of extra meat in its gut yep
1: (laughs) i I know that's what looking at the one i shot he was healthy as could be he'd been eating good the one i shot a couple years ago was in march and he was literally skin and bone i mean he was (laughs) that wolf was probably only 70 pounds but I would guess similar in size, um, yeah. but looking at this one, and I've seen pictures of, of big wolves and you can tell a, a normal wolf from, Oh my goodness, that's a big wolf. My wolf yeah. was big. It wasn't, Oh my goodness, that's a big wolf. And so I could totally see 110, 120 pound wolf, um, as yeah. a mature male on a healthy winter yeah. with, you know, without anybody having to exaggerate those kind of weights, knowing yep. that they could probably easily get up to 140, 150 pounds on rare
0: occasion. Yeah, the two hundred pounder that yeah uh, you know I don't know how many two hundred pound pictures I've been told. <laughs> uh, so the like, same people send hmm.
1: me the picture of the five hundred pound bear and the three hundred yeah. pound mountain lion and the yeah.
0: turkey with the <laughs> sixteen inch beard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean, hey, we're all hunters and fishermen, right? That's that's part of the the uh, DNA that gets passed along. Is you know. You, that's why we take pictures where, you know, some of those pictures, the guy's 35 yards behind the antlers. Yeah. You know, Somebody I made a just, comment
1: on my picture and said – geez stand a little farther away from the wolf why don't you or something i'm like my knee you can see that my knee is putting an impression in the wolf's back like i'm touching it i can't get any closer to it so they're just
0: a big animal that's
1: they are but yeah i I agree there's no reason to tell a hunting story if you're not going to embellish a little bit
0: yeah i mean what the heck I, (laughs) i come from such a good long line of bs and storytellers that i you know if i catch a fish you really want to get it on a scale my (laughs) my son for his birthday when he's like five years old he's like dad i want a fish scale for my birthday so we bought him a digital fish scale and now every fish i caught weighed like one or two pounds less than i thought it did (laughs) Dang it. Uh, and, uh, he, he, he wasn't going to cut me any slack. you know, I'm standing there telling a story on the dock. and I'm like, yeah, we got a couple walleyes here. you know, biggest one looks like he's probably six pounds. No dad, it was 4.8 pounds. <laughs> Shut up.
1: <laughs>
0: You're ruining uh, the story. Yeah, he, he takes after my dad. My dad used to run the big buck contest in our little hometown, but it's not by antler size. It was he had a big meat scale. And he'd come and hang them on the meat scale. And uh, you'd be surprised how many of these 200 pound bucks turned out to be 140 pound bucks. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'll tell you what, though. If if you pack an animal
1: out, I think you're allowed at least like a 20% elaboration on the weight. Just for sure. By the time I got back to the to the truck, I could barely walk on flat yeah. ground because I had, you know, yeah. my gear, the rifle, I probably had 120, yeah. 125 pounds on my back and over a mile, mile and a quarter. That was, no, that, that's enough. That's rough. stupid. Yeah. That it was, was stupid <laughs> to go So I think, I, you know, I get to say it was probably 130 pound wolf because yeah. my total pack was close to that.
0: Yeah. No, I'm I'm with you, man. I, if if you haul out a load like that, you go and embellish all you want. I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not pointing it out. You know. Now that I can't carry loads like that, I just like yeah, man, I remember one day I carried a load like that too, at twenty two years old. So, you know. On a hundred dollar bet. Someone bet me I couldn't carry that. I won a hundred dollars and I spent five times that much on chiropractor yeah, bills Exactly. But I won the bet. That's right. That's all that matters. <laughs> uh, what else we got to leave the folks with? Uh, yeah. Where where do we have wolf hunting? Just Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, and Alaska, right? Yeah, in the
1: U.S. Yeah, yeah. it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Oregon's got a healthy population. I don't know where they're at on their management yeah. litigation. There. Colorado, obviously, it sounds like they're going to be bringing in yeah. a, a walking yeah, too.
0: Yeah, that's uh, it's unfortunate to have seen. I you know, I was surprised that the Colorado initiative it didn't pass by much yeah. on the on the ballot. I wish I wish it would have spun the other way and uh, Colorado could have kept management based on science rather than the ballot. But, yeah. And uh, I see Wisconsin now that the US Fish and Wildlife Service has delisted you know, across the u s uh Wisconsin is plotting their next hunting and trapping season for wolves. I'm sure they'll get litigated until the end of time yeah. uh, you know that's unfortunately the the f- attorney full of uh full employment act is anytime you decide you're gonna hunt warm and fuzzies like you know anything wolves, grizzlies, wolves. Bears. <laughs> Lions. So
1: yeah, but such, no, that's, such that's, is this world we live in. Yeah, and that's the hard part for me is hunters are the only ones contributing any financial yep. means to management of wildlife. And yeah. anything that the the other side contributes goes to litigation. It's not going to help the wildlife at all. It's you know if you get rid of hunters, you get rid of state agencies. You get rid of state yeah. agencies. There's nobody putting money into wildlife, and there's nobody that's going to be able to help wildlife when they struggle, which they will if there's no management. It's just it's sad that they're that close-minded and, and emotionally passionate about it that they aren't looking ahead and realizing without hunting. There's no wildlife. I mean, it can't sustain itself.
0: Yeah. Well, I like you. I wish it was. Wish it was different. But I, I think the reality is we we got to understand this is the landscape we're looking at. Yep. Um, and figure out <clears throat> what we do to hopefully advocate for our cause and and uh, represent the wild places and the wild things and. And know that we're through our advocacy, our dollars, our excise taxes, license fees, you know, whatever it is that we're doing the right thing for wildlife, and uh, hopefully that that wins in the long run. But you know, that's one you never know for sure. Yep. So don't take it for granted. No. Uh, can I talk a little bit about your home state, of Idaho? I guess. Are you going to talk okay. good about it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Idaho is a big uh, contributor to the the mission work of the Elk Foundation, and this year, uh, this year, well, 2020, I'm I'm four days off or whatever we are five days off. Uh, the Elk Foundation. Uh, was able through its money and its partner money to put $2,047,000 on the ground in Idaho. So Wow. Yeah. There's 9,000 member, RMEF members in 18 chapters in Idaho. And they're a huge, huge help uh, raising money, being advocates and everything. In, How in many Idaho. members? 9,000.
1: 9,000 members. I don't have the numbers in front of me of how many elk tags we sell in Idaho, but it's considerably more than 9,000. Yeah, for sure. If you are listening to this podcast and you are a resident of the state of Idaho and you're not (laughs) a member of the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and you buy an elk tag, please reconsider. Become a member of the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation because that money that they put into restoring habitat and opening access and everything directly benefits you as an elk hunter and for 35 dollars a year it's a pretty small investment to to make and that goes for every state not just idaho but that surprises me that the number of members is that low when compared to the number of resident
0: elk hunters there are yeah well wow. The good news is there's a lot of great work being done in Idaho because when the Oak Foundation gets $100, by the time it works to free up matching grants in other nonprofit areas, free up money that's been earmarked by either Congress or state legislatures for Habitat, a lot of times that money would go unspent if someone didn't grab the bull by the horns, figuratively, uh, and build these these project, uh, proposals, bring them forth and say, we have the resources to get this done. We have the talent, we have technology, we have the expertise. So now, you know, it might be $300,000 gets leveraged to the tune of a million and a half for a burn or, uh, invasive weed treatment or who knows what access, you know, whatever it might be. So, uh, but you guys, or you got some really great volunteers in Idaho who'd raise a lot of money for the Oak Foundation and and it's good to see a lot of it going back to Idaho on the ground. And, uh, I picked Idaho just because we were talking about Idaho Wolves. I thought, Well, I should talk about Idaho and RMEF, but I could talk about Idaho or RMEF and Colorado or Wyoming or Arizona or New Mexico or, you know, wherever it might be. Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Kentucky. Yeah. 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 North Carolina, Virginia, West Virginia. Yeah. That's places all over now. But, uh, anyhow, I hope that if people are listening to this podcast, that you become a member of the Elk Foundation. Uh, They're just. There's things we can do. I kind of, this is my simplified approach to it, Corey, and you've heard me say it, that we can either sit here and fight over a smaller pie, i.e. hunting opportunity, number of elk, or we can work at building a bigger pie by putting more elk on the mountain, which results in more opportunity. And uh, I'm an abundance thinker, not a scarcity (laughs) thinker. And I've had my dissertation about that also. That there's two mindsets, you know. Some people are scarcity thinkers, and it's about how do I get my piece of the pie. And then there's abundance thinkers of how do I make a bigger pie and invite oh. more people to the feast. There you go. So yep. let's let's build the bigger pie when it comes to elk and elk habitat and all the other wildlife that benefits from it. Yep. Awesome. Well, what if,
1: <clears throat> what haven't we covered? Well, there's a lot we haven't covered, but I think we've. Uh... We've covered we've covered the clock pretty well today, so we probably need to
0: let people go and save some other okay. topics for the next episode. All right. Next episode, I don't know what we're going to interject, but we'll probably cover some Arizona elk applications and who knows what.
1: Yeah. It's that time. It's application season. So we've got Wyoming followed by Arizona, Utah.
0: What's next? New, New Mexico,
1: Mexico, Colorado. So, yeah, a lot of good stuff coming up. Yeah.
0: So, well, thanks for being here, folks. Oh, yeah. Corey. Yeah. When when someone draws a tag, how do they go sign up for your course? Because the, we talk about all this stuff about drawing a tag, but then when you get your tag, the University of Elk Hunting is the place where you can really jump in and benefit from years and years of experience that someone's willing to share with you. How do, yeah. how does that work? Yeah, they can just go to elk101.com,
1: click on the link that says online course, and sign up. And when you use the code elk talk, it saves you twenty bucks. Well, so there you go. Sign up for, and it's as we've talked before. There's so many. Different facets of it, you know. We talk about how to get tags in there. We talk about um, for somebody that's never even thought about elk hunting before. We explain and break down how tags can be acquired and what states have tags that are acquired by non-residents, and then how to get them. Which ones are over the counter? Which ones you have to apply for? But then we get into the real fun stuff. You know, we talk about conditioning and gear and planning your hunt to be successful from the beginning and the tactics, scouting, scouting scouting, you know, all, all of the aspects of it, all the way up to getting the elk back to your truck and into a cooler. So a lot of good stuff there. Don't wait until you draw an elk tag to to sign up for sure. But if you do draw an elk tag and need some help, the, the online course is definitely there to provide
0: a benefit and to increase success for elk hunters. Cool. Well, now I feel like we've covered enough. Oh, until we, we threw the RMEF <laughs> and the University of Elk Hunting course in there, I just felt like We had some gaps today. (laughs) We've definitely chinked the logs, so. Yeah. But I'm going to have to go because I can feel my cough syrup is wearing off. You've done good. uh, I'm about ready to go into a coffin jag here. Uh, And also, I'm late for lunch with my wife. She She told me to be home at noon or else. I don't know what or else means. You know what it means. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know that it
1: means I'm, enough that you don't want to find out what it means
0: exactly that's what I tell people I'm not sure where the boundary lines of where else are but whatever turf is defined by or else <laughs> i don't I don't want to tread that turf yep so I better get going you better get going folks thanks All for right.
1: listening and uh, we'll catch you on the next one
0: thanks Cory